Good morning, sir. Hey, Stephen. How's it going, man? Great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Awesome. Where are you uh, calling in from? I am in the middle of nowhere in Western Kentucky. How about yourself? Oh, really? Good thing you work in the digital space, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, dude, I got to tell you, um, I and, and I mean this as genuinely as you could possibly believe from a stranger. Um, I've just had the greatest time going through your LinkedIn profile. Um, your cool. posts that you did were just that like truly enjoyable. Um, you do like, uh, I feel like there's a salesman in you at least. Cause I was like, at the end of this, I'm like, I like and, and know and trust you at the end of, of, you know, going through like 20 of these posts. And I feel like you pitched your business without pitching it and all these other things. And I don't know. So I just wanted, I wanted to shoot that compliment your way. Like I literally enjoyed reading your LinkedIn posts and I cannot say that for everyone. <laughs> so. I, I appreciate that. You know, I qualitative that <laughs> like that is something that like I'm a huge advocate of, right? Like, mm. cause like that's the stuff that's not trackable and that's, that's the stuff that really sticks with you um, and lets you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing something right. Because yeah, like all, all the data and all the analytics in the world are one thing. Right. But like that real qualitative feedback from people, from real humans, like means the world. I appreciate that a ton, man. Yeah, of course. No, it's, it's really good. You know, it's kind of my way of being able to go through and do a little bit of research. Like, obviously I got like your one page and stuff like that from the, uh, the people who reach out um, yeah. to book podcasts for you, but you know, that doesn't always tell the whole story. So, right. And it doesn't necessarily talk about what you're currently talking about right now, or, you yeah. know, I'm sure it's up to date and everything, but you know, so this is good stuff. So anyways, well, it's good cool. to talk to you, man. Likewise, likewise. <clears throat> um, well, um, I don't know what you do or don't know, but basically the, the show is about, did they explain to you what the show is about at all? No, they didn't. The, okay, um, but yeah, feel free to give me an overview. If That's you, totally if you fine. To. Not a big deal. Um, so the, the podcast is called death to vanilla and it's about doing something different to stand out, uh, so that your business actually gets noticed, um, is really like the, the central theme of the podcast. And so, um, my goal is to have something of value to, uh, marketers, um, you know, but also people who are, you know, higher up in the food chain in the marketing uh, community, like CMOs and stuff like that too. But, um, you know, what I really like to walk away from is not just theoretical, but practical. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if, you know, and, and every guest is different, not ever, not all of them operate in that really practical plane. And that's totally fine. In fact, that's why we're in like in the midst of reaching out to creators uh, to have some podcasts with them. Cause I've typically been more of like business leaders and thought leaders and stuff like that. Um, but I like to have a little bit of mix of both. Um, and so, yeah, so I saw you're very much into um, the content marketing space uh, and SEO and stuff like that too. Um, so I definitely would love to chat about all of those things. And, you know, I think before we get started, I would definitely love to hear from you, like kind of those things that are like really on your mind right now that are yeah. stuff you find yourself like reading about all the time or like kind of passionately responding to all the time um, that might fit inside those boundaries that we would ch uh, chat about today. Yeah. So I would say that one, I can, where I sit and like what I do and what I'm, what I'm a huge proponent of is kind of always being somewhat in the mix, even whenever you are trying to lead. Right. So, so I operate both at a strategic level 
and try to maintain some level of the tactical so that I have a good, my finger on the pulse of things that are going on, not across every okay. project I'm working on. Right. But it's a way to kind of keep your skills sharp and understand what's happening. But um, so, I mean, the things that I guess I've been thinking about more lately. So, I mean, from a business perspective, we're always like promoting the idea of, of, of like content is, you know, content is king. Everyone knows that that's not new. Right. Mm-hmm. But that, the approach to topic clustering that people have been taking for a long period of time, you know, where it's kind of like, oh yeah, everyone's just, it's this amorphous concept really that people like, oh, pick a hub, pick spokes, topics that relate to it. I'm like, yeah, that's great and all, but I'm a data person as well. And so something I'm advocating for a lot lately is you need to plan out and understand exactly like how you need to organize your content. If you're trying to do it from an SEO perspective, that's separate from thought leadership, brand content, you know, that's, that's got its own thing. But for, uh, for companies that are trying to plan content, there's an algorithmic way to approach the topic clustering model. I'm a big proponent of that. Beyond that, the other things I've been kind of, I guess, pushing for talking more about and more interested in lately are the, while I am a data person, like I mentioned to the beginning, qualitative data, it's still data, is super, super important. And it gives you more of a full picture of what's going on that attribution tools and analytics and whether it's HubSpot, Visible, et cetera, that they don't give you. And I think that it's important uh, to get that data from customers and get that feedback to really understand what's driving things. Um, other than that, not a huge fan. You probably, I guess you kind of hit it on the beginning when it comes to like my LinkedIn post. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of lead gen. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, I don't, we don't do cold outbound here, like for, for, right. you know, for, for deals. Um, we're much more focused on provide value, provide value, provide value. And our buyers are not idiots. If they want to work with us, they know how to contact us. Right. Like, and, and yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of our approach to the thing. Um, and like to that note, like even like on our, on our blog, like we have, we get about 20 or so like uh, contacts, right. I call them, I call them contacts, not leads um, a week who are downloading our templates that we have for some complicated processes that we show people how to work. But I even tell them on the form, I'm like, look, we're not going to market to you when you fill out this form. So like, you know, I'm like, we collect your email just so that if you ever reach out in the future, we have some context. I'm like, but you're not signing up for this because you want to get marketed to you're signing up for this to get this template because you want the template. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're big advocates of that, which is kind of against the grain. Right. I think with yeah, the way traditional marketing is done, but it works great for us. And I think it aligns better with the way that like the way that buyers want to buy the, you know, I mean, how many times have you, right. Like filled out a form to get a template or something like that and had no in- intention of ever really working with that company. Right. And, and so it's a, uh, uh, I would rather take our time that we spend internally from a marketing and sales perspective, working on the people who uh, are act like actually have high intent versus, right. you know, so. Yeah, I would say uh, for email marketing, I think that's the only reason you make a template <laughs> is to uh, get them into your marketing funnel. So that's definitely a, uh, a uh, countercultural approach to, um, sharing value. So out of curiosity, just curiosity, we don't, you know, we don't need to talk about it like on the podcast, but like, is, do you guys track any sort of, I mean, of course you track conversions on that. Like, so like how many, what's like the percentage of people that actually reach back out? Like, is it really just like brand building and helpful or like, do you guys actually see a return on that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we see a return. It's obviously, you know, um, 
less like since so we don't really track it from an mql standpoint right like we look at things from what actually turns into revenue yeah um the i mean i'll put it like this we uh we grew by about 120 percent year over year so like we're heading in the right direction you know and, uh, <laughs> and we've been able to do that too without having to scale um in terms of internal uh team members too like we don't we don't nice. have to have an S, S, a team of sdrs right like because and and all the costs that are associated with that um so i think that's that's been helpful and that's why you know like we're about to launch a podcast too um you know and uh we've never traditionally advertised and now we're starting to explore that also. And, uh, right. and our, our whole approach with advertising too, was it's, it's not lead gen. We're going to treat it as if, uh, imagine like what, what could you do or, or, you know, what would be the benefit, right. Of being able to put a commercial, right. Or some sort of something like that in front of the right people every single day. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Nike grew huge, right. Without any sort of, uh, you know, lead gen, you know, so I mean, there's, uh, I think, I think there's a place for it um, in the long run without having to uh, just chase leads and um, not account for the fact that man, you know, labor has costs associated with it too. So, right. Well, it was kind of funny because um, I'm not a sports guy, but I watched like um, at least the first several episodes from. Uh, the last dance, the documentary with Michael Jordan and stuff like that too. And I was like, yep. it hit me. And and this is probably very obvious to many, but like it hit me that like Nike was doing influencer marketing yeah. before it was ever yeah. like a tagline. It was like yeah. when they brought on Michael Jordan to wear his shoes and do the photo shoots and stuff like that, that I'm like, that's exactly what that is. This whole thing about influencer marketing isn't even new. It's just new to talk about and is new like that it's approachable from a budget standpoint from smaller companies, but like it's been going on at least in the sports arena forever. Um, and so I don't know that uh, this, it, that just kind of struck me as a little funny. <laughs> it, it, was, it was going on in the what 60s, 70s, like with Marilyn Monroe and De Beers, right? Like mm -hmm. diamonds are a girl's best friend, right? Like that, yep. that was the same sort of thing back then too. Right. It's just that we have a lot more reach now across social and stuff like that, you know, but I think there's something to be said about the micro influencer thing though being more important yeah. i think than the kind of like nike it works well for them because they appeal they have a much larger tam right versus like your standard say SaaS company or something like that um but there's something to be said about the micro influencer thing i've i've told salespeople on deals i was um you know i'm like they're like you know what do we need from me right to close this deal and i'm like put me in touch with someone who's a customer of yours who kind of matches my profile and let me talk to them for 10 minutes like, frankly, like that would be the best thing ever, right? Like to be able to uh, talk to, you know, micro influencer or someone who is like me, you know, that's more valuable than always talking to a salesperson, um, especially, but. Totally. Yep. No, that's cool. All right, cool. Well, let me just do the intro and then we cool. can just launch into just having a, having a conversation about everything. So. Sounds good, man. Cool. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Burkhart, and I am very excited to bring on someone that, um, well, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed his content, and he has in the content marketing and the SEO space, just really driving uh, growth for businesses, and uh, his name is Skylar Reeves, and so he is on the podcast today, and yeah, so we're going to talk about all kinds of different things about topic clustering and um, gathering data, which is obviously a big hot topic right now with uh, cookies disappearing and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, so I would love, Skylar, if you could just introduce yourself, talk to us a little bit about um, 
uh, your business and what you're doing, and we'll we'll get right into it. Yeah, glad to be here, Stephen. Uh, name's Skylar, uh, Skylar Reeves. I run, I'm the founder and CEO of Ardent Growth. We're a content intelligence uh, consultancy. Uh, we primarily focus on working with B2B SaaS companies, especially those with like a product-led motion on developing content strategies so that they know exactly what content they need to create and what order uh, to get the, the best results in the shortest amount of time possible. Awesome. Isn't that what every business wants, right? Is yeah. <laughs> massive results very quickly, which honestly is challenging with content. Um, but before we jump into that, um, you know, be, before you know, we started the podcast, you, you had made mention that like all content strategies aren't a one size fit all, right? So there's yeah. um, uh, content strategies for brands and for SEO and for some other things. So walk us through a little bit about um, maybe not the intricacies of how it's different, yeah. but like that was definitely my first time kind of hearing it explained that way because I, I view things very much from like a brand building perspective when it comes to content. Um, but also knowing full well that like SEO driven content is super helpful because of course you're putting that on your website and that needs to drive traffic and stuff like that. So give us a little bit of framework for how that looks different in each different context. Cause that was certainly a surprise to me and I'm sure it is to other people listening. Yeah. So the way you can think about it is your, your thought, like thought leadership type content or, um, anything that's company culture, right? If it's, if it's, uh, if it's primary purposes for say internal marketing purposes, right. To be able to recruit and, and retain talent, uh, those, that type of content, um, is very different from say your SEO driven content, right? Like that type of thought leadership or, um, anything that's related to some sort of data that you've pulled, right. That people like things that people aren't searching for that type of content's meant for demand generation, right. For creating demand, the SEO type content for whenever people have a job to be done, right? They've got a problem to be solved. They don't, they're not aware you exist, or perhaps they are aware you exist. That's more for capturing that demand, right? Whenever they're already in market with an intent to buy, mm -hmm. or additionally for retention as well. It's helpful there, especially once someone's already, say, a customer and they're trying to, whether you're a service based business and they want to figure out a contact you, or whether you're a SaaS company and they're trying to, you know, work out your API documentation, right? You want to be able to rank for those things. And you get, there's a little bit of a middle ground there too, when you're going into comparison stuff that you can do a bit of brand with that, but also it can be for search when people are looking for, you know, versus uh, comparing Asana to Trello or something like that. So they're, right. they're very, very different. And you should approach them different ways. Um, you know, and then you've got content that's not on the website at all, right? Content that you're producing um, to meet people where they're at, whether that's on LinkedIn, whether that's, you know, in, in different feeds or YouTube, et cetera. It doesn't always have to, you know, exist as, as written content on your blog either. So uh, a way to think about it, though, in terms of a framework is that depending on what type of business model that you have and what your constraints are, is how you want to think about how content can relieve those constraints. So if you're a product-led motion business and with some sort of, uh, you know, freemium um, uh, or free trial going on, SEO can be very, very beneficial because you tend to have a lower, um, you know, ACV, right? And so you need volume. You need people to come in, set up your set up a trial, right? And then try to convert them, um, you know, to, to a paid user from there. And doing that from a paid perspective can get pretty expensive. It's hard, it's hard to scale over a long period of time. And so SEO type content uh, to drive people in is super helpful there. 
you can do brand stuff too from, you know, uh, pure brand demand generation type on LinkedIn, but SEO is really the, the compounding return that you're going to get over time versus a company that's got, that's very sales heavy, right? Something like, um, you know, an enterprise level, like the plan or pro plan of HubSpot or uh, Gong is a good example too, right? Those websites don't benefit as much from SEO because the sales cycles are longer and the buyers aren't really searching for those things and, you know, um, specifically, right? Like, um, and so until they're looking for say comparison type stuff. So if you want to capture demand, if you're that type of company, I would focus more on brand awareness on, you know, LinkedIn type content, trying to get a bunch of reach or some advertising that's, you know, showcasing, uh, you know, who you work with, why people work with you, what you can do. <laughs> So that's, that's the way I would look at them. It just depends on your constraints. If you're a product-led company as well, and you have, um, you know, you've got plenty of free users, you're not trying to get more free users, right? Let's say you're Grammarly, right? Like Grammarly doesn't need more free users, right? They need paid, they need to convert more paid users because every free user takes up server space, right? That has costs associated with it. So yeah. their content would then shift to being more, you know, weighing on the, the pros and, and the benefits of, uh, you know, why, uh, for example, when you go to the paid plan, you can manage brand assets, right? And so now your content can shift towards that versus just fixing grammar. And you're pitching brand consistency to the, you know, heads of content, CMOs, whatever, things like that to try to get them over to the paid plan. So you just got to think about what your constraints are and, and how, you, how you make money, really, and map a content strategy to that. Right. Yeah, definitely the... With Grammarly, it's definitely a different place in the funnel for sure. Mm. And then, of course, at that point, why would you need highly searchable web content? <laughs> yeah. Because, so, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And when they first started, completely different game, though, right? And yeah. they still benefit from having it because people are still going to be coming in market all the time, right? But they've, they've got a large enough brand now. They're not brand new, right? That their biggest constraint is probably you know, try to get people over to a paid plan um, at the organization enterprise level. Right. Get those conversions. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm uh, recovering from uh, a weekend sickness. So, um, so I'll be coughing a little bit. Um, well, cool. No, that sounds awesome. So um, one of the ways that you talk about um, really having, I would assume the more SEO driven content work for you is uh, topic clustering. I'm assuming that's more on the SEO side. Um, and, and, you know, as we talked about before, before we started the podcast, there's definitely something a little bit more like ambiguous. It's, it's not quite as um, maybe as, as much as like household name type uh, understanding of it. And so I'd love for you to kind of demystify that a little bit for us. Um, I certainly heard about it from HubSpot when I went and did some of their training. Um, so I understand conceptually one of the topic clustering is, but I would love for you to like give us your perspective on what that looks like and, and demystify it a little bit. Sure. So for anyone who isn't aware, topic clustering, um, it's something that HubSpot started promoting. It's, it's actually a lot older than that. It comes from, um, from computer science and, and graph theory and stuff. but. Um, Topic clustering is the idea from a content perspective that you're going to kind of create this one central sort of page uh, that's target, targeting like a broad topic, right? And you're going to build the spoke pages off of it. So it's like a hub and spoke model that are targeting these longer tail question, deeper problem concerns. And then you interlink it all together on your website. What this does, is this helps tell Google, hey, this all this content goes together. I know what I'm talking about. It helps build what's called 
what we call topical authority trust with Google and helps you just rank better over time. It's also great for users because when they come into a subject, they can kind of move around in a sphere of content um, that's maybe answering questions that they weren't thinking of prior, right? That maybe they weren't searching for and so that keeps them on your site longer, builds more trust, et cetera. Now, the, my problem with topic clustering was that whenever, so I, I, I come into this world from computer science. I was a computer scientist before I started this business and um, my particular focus was on algorithms and like routing problems and, and solving things like that. And when I was reading HubSpot talking about topic clustering, they would talk about, you know, like I said, pick a, to pick this, you know, broad topic and then build these topics out around it. And I was like, okay, that's great and all, but how do you know which, like what content, right? If you're going to look at this from a keyword perspective, how do you know what content needs to be on what page, how many pages you're going to need to flesh out this topic? How do you, prevents uh, two pages from competing with one another? Or how do you know that in some instances, maybe you need to break one piece of content into two, right? To be able to match the searcher's intent with the, what the searcher's actually looking for when they're searching for it. Because if you don't match that, you have a very difficult time ranking. And no one really had an answer to this. Um, it was, like I said, it was all kind of based on gut. And I wasn't a big fan of that. I wanted to try to reduce, you know, uncertainty, right? That's one of the drivers of human beings. We want to reduce uncertainty and risk. And so um, we worked on an algorithm, developed an algorithm that can ingest just tons of data um, and then build these topic clusters from it using what Google is telling us about how they want to group it together. So we crawl a bunch of the data uh, from the search results pages for all of these things, um, look for the overlap between them and use that to map out these clusters. And so it's a very, it's a very data-driven approach. It's much, it's much faster actually than doing it gut-based and you get a very, uh, a more holistic and broader picture of your total addressable market. And what's really useful um, with it now is that one, you know exactly what content you need to create. And one of the secondary problems that we faced that was, uh, we weren't expecting in the beginning was, you know, you solve the first problem and then you're like, great, now what? Right, so it's like, okay, now we understand how these things need to be clustered together. We know what site architecture needs to look like. We know, you know, how many articles we need to create. So that tells us an idea of budget from a resource perspective. But then the question came, where do we start? What order? How, how do we prioritize these things, right? And so then we worked on that and we worked out a way to prioritize and tell you, here's what you need to do next. And that's been super, super helpful for especially blogs uh, and, you know, websites already have a, a decent amount of content because we're able to say, okay, look, you know, based on what the data is telling us here, you need to create these three pages. And if you do, you're going to rank very, very quickly for them. We're looking at things like what's the value of the page, right? Like, does it have conversion intent? Does it feel kind of a slot in a different part of the funnel, right? Um, we try to be focused on like, how does this drive to business outcomes, you know, ultimately. Yeah. And it's, it's been phenomenal so far. I mean, we've, uh, we published a page, I think like uh, this one highly, highly competitive term, like one of those best X for Y's for this one uh, client we were working for and uh, published it on like the 20th and by the 24th, it was ranking on the first page. And that's like a 90,000, you know, search volume per month term. And so that's, that's pretty impactful for that business. Yeah. So. Okay. So when you're talking about like overlap and stuff like that, are we talking yeah. about typically pages like not being quite specific enough. And so then in that case, it makes it difficult for both 
the searcher and Google to really understand what it's about or, or what typically was the, yeah. the catch? Yeah, so what we, uh, what we looked at initially, we, we, we tried to think about approaching this using natural language processing. And then I thought about it more and I said, you know, there's no reason for us to do NLP on this. Google has already done that, right? So we need to just look to see what Google has done and, and, and you know, take it from there. And so we, what we look at is whenever you run a, um, you know, let's say 500,000 keywords through this thing, um, you know, if you're doing it for a company with a large TAM, um, we're looking at the overlap in terms of which URLs are ranking for all of these keywords. And what you'll find, let's say you take two topics and you search for them on Google and you look at them side by side, what you want to look for is you want to look for do, do the websites that rank for topic A, are they the same websites that rank for topic B? It's, it's not going to be 10 out of 10 most of the times, you know, but yeah. you want to look for a high overlap. So we, we'll look at, say, do at least three or four pages rank in the top 10. And we actually tend to look at do what's the percentage of those pages that are ranking that have an overlap similarity in the top five as well. Because as you move down the search results, you'll often see they start to change a little bit in terms of the angle. Right. And so that's letting you know that the search intent is actually changing. Um, and so a page down there that's ranking 10 may rank number one for a separate topic. Right. So so we look at the overlap between the pages and, and let Google tell us how it wants to group things together rather than trying to, you know, reverse engineer and build our own NLP algorithm ourselves. Yeah, that sounds like a lot more work. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> awesome. And then to just clarify on like what articles or topics or content that's making you're essentially you're able to kind of decipher um, what's going to have like the kind of more of like the quick win so that they can start uh, churning through the the traffic while you're building some of the other pieces out yeah we so it depends on where the where the business is at um right so if they're brand new starting out really at that point it's like okay let's cl let's cluster things together just so we know what needs to be discussed on each page but you really just need to start producing content so we can get a baseline of where things are going to go. But if you're a more established company, um, you know, like it's like QuickBooks, Active Campaign, something like that, you know, like that already have a ton of content, it allows you to prioritize things. But you also want to look at the constraints, right, that the business is facing right now. Like what's, what's their initiative for the quarter? What's their initiative for the year, right? Have they launched a new product that they're trying to break into? If so, maybe you focus around that more because you're trying to build that out versus, you know, fleshing out a more uh, kind of well-established topic. What's really handy here though, too, is that the way we have this um, developed is that we can find, especially when you're going into a new, uh, so let's say you've launched a new product, let's say you're ClickUp and now you offer whiteboard as part of your you know massive suite of applications, right? So right. Um, we can find what we call bridge topics where we can begin to think, okay, what other topics through this web and this graph get connected to the concept of whiteboards, right? And so we'll look to see where you're already ranking well, and we'll create that bridge topic that, that talks about these two concepts together. And that, that allows you to kind of break into this brand new product that maybe you have, or this topic you haven't addressed before and work your way from the bottom up, which is also helpful because then you get to kind of start with more bottom of funnel content, things like that. Another prioritization thing that we look at though, is we think about what's the value of this um, versus just like we don't like volume is a is an indicator in some instances of value, but not always, right? Because not everything that gets searched for um, has value associated with it. Like mm -hmm. what's Joe Biden's birth date or something like that, right? Like there's no transactional value there. 
So we're uh, when we're calculating this too, we're also looking at, okay, what's the traffic potential, but also what's the value potential from it. And um, we do that, the, the way to approach that is think about one of two ways. If you don't have clean data, um, and you don't know exactly like what your conversion rates and like, like you know, sell cycle kind of uh, plays out there in a very, uh, from, the, from a blog perspective, then you can look at what are people paying for this traffic, right? And you can say, okay, if, if, that's, if that's what people are paying for it, here's a, here's a rough heuristic of what the value would be at a, at a low end. Um, you know, but if you actually have good conversion data on your blog, um, you know, like, okay, this generates this many MQLs, this converts into, you know, qualified opportunities, and here's what our close rate is, then you can actually, we'll incorporate that data instead uh, and map it to different sections of the content based on funnel stage to get an idea of what's the actual value of us creating this content, how many, like how many leads could this actually produce, right? Or like how much revenue can that turn into, you know, at an upper and lower right. bound threshold? Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And that actually makes me think back to, because uh, I was telling you, I was snooping on you on your LinkedIn before we got started. And that was actually interesting because uh, I think you actually have a story about one of your own uh, pages yeah. on your website that that yeah. actually happened. So I'd love for you to tell that story. Are you talking about the one that generated a ton of traffic and, and no value? Yeah, the one you, yeah. Yeah, you, you guys actually took it down, right? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, so we, uh, back when we first started, we were working primarily with small businesses and um, we'd wrote a guide to Google My Business, which is very important to small businesses when it comes to ranking. And uh, it started ranking, picked up very, very quickly. There, We were outranking Google's own stuff for it and HubSpot and everyone else. And it was driving a ton of traffic to our site, but very, you know, either, either it converted very little or a lot of the conversions just weren't quality, you know, good quality leads. And so, mm. you know, not thinking about that in the beginning, right. Of like one, how many small businesses are there out there? Right. How many of them don't really have budget, right. You know, it's like, this is attracting the wrong uh, type of traffic versus instead of maybe going after a different topic, that's maybe something along more, if, if we're looking at the local space, it would be, you know, how to manage Google, my business for multi-location businesses. Right. Mm. Now that's much more specific and they if they're a multi-location business they're probably more sophisticated they actually have budget right like there's there's a there is a, a marketing uh you know uh, in-house marketing coordinator or something like that or a cmo maybe sometimes if it's a large enough company versus just general google my business guide i mean this is covering everything from you know your you know a mom and pop shop down to someone who's working a photography business from home or something like that right, right. so yeah so it's uh we ended up uh uh taking it uh, took uh, it's still actually up on the site because I didn't want to um, I didn't want to remove the value that the that the information provided from people who might want it right but we took effectively like all of the any sort of conversion intent you know CTAs and stuff like that away from it uh, kind of siloed it off on its own that way it could still provide value to people who needed it but would reduce um, you know the noise on our end from a lead flow perspective we also filtered a lot of that traffic out of our analytics because we we didn't, we didn't really care about looking at it. So. Right. Well, I feel like that is kind of like the SEO equivalent of vanity metrics, right? Cause we talk yeah. about that a lot when it comes to like social media, where it's like, okay, you have a huge follower account or lots of likes or whatever else like that. But at the end of the day, what does that mean in dollars? Like, okay, yep. you have a million followers, but like, if you're making, you know, $10 a month then like what value, you know, unless there's some future plan to turn that into revenue, like, so what? Um, 
And so I feel like that's kind of like the SEO version of that, of like, okay, you wrote an article that brings in, you know, a hundred thousand unique searches a week. Uh, oh, that's really cool. But at the end of the day, like, did it make you any revenue? So if you can't answer that, then you've, you've, you've found your vanity metric. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, and, and there's some things to look at there too. And that's um, whether it's on social or whether it's on, on your website is that if you're seeing users go up, right? Like you would expect to also, if you overlay this with Salesforce data or your, whatever you're, wherever you're tracking revenue, is your revenue going up as well? Because it's going to be hard sometimes, especially for the high volume to topics to directly tie it to revenue, depending on what your sales cycle looks like. If, um, you know, if you have a short sales cycle, less than 90 days, you can kind of look at like first, you know, first click attribution on like a day look back window by landing page to get a sense of it. But if it's greater than 90 days, you're not always going to see that. There's just a lot of cross device stuff that falls out of it, right? But mm -hmm. but when you're looking at those things, like look at revenue and then also look at qualitative feedback, I think, from, from people who talk to you, right? So like if someone says, you know, if you're getting feedback from people saying, you know, uh, I saw a post on LinkedIn, right? And then maybe it was two months later, they they could they were consuming your content for a couple of months and they finally Googled your company's name, looked you up, contacted you you know, your attribution data is going to say it was organic or direct or, you know, one way or another, but really it was, you know, from say LinkedIn originally. So look at qualitative right. feedback, but also look at revenue. Is it trending up? If it's not, then you need to change your strategy. You need to produce different content. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are some like common misconceptions that people have about the, this topic clustering? Like what are like some common mistakes or misunderstandings that they have? That's a good question. I think that I think that most people will oftentimes look at things from a vanity metric perspective, or they're basing what their success criteria is off of, say, MQLs versus like really really comes down to how they define MQL, like what is an actual qualified lead, right? Um, and so when when marketing doesn't have uh, when they're not looking at revenue data and they're not kind of tying themselves to that, I think one of the problems is they look at topic clustering, like, okay, let's produce all this content and uh, you know, let's try to drive leads, but maybe they're not the right type of leads beyond that. Probably the most, the most common mistake is looking at it from a gut instinct. We've seen time and time again, every website we've run this on, we look at it and we say, okay, you know, I see what you did here. It was great that you produced content. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like you had to do something, but Hey, you know, we need to take this, we need to break this out into two separate pages, or we need to consolidate these other two pages, right? Because they're competing with one another. And so that's what happens when you look at it from a, from like a gut perspective. And yeah, that's probably, that's actually probably the biggest one is just kind of approaching it uh, based on gut. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see, like, obviously this is going to, you know, vastly depend on the kind of business. Um, but I know you work primarily with the B2B SaaS. So like, how do you see um, like social media fitting in with some of the like the content strategies you guys are doing for these topic clusters? Like, is it just distribution of that content or is there some other like greater uh, intention or strategy that you typically see working well in tandem with those efforts? Yeah, so again, depending on, right? Like, it, what it, are you trying to create a new category? You, you know, going up against um, existing incumbents will kind of dictate how you're going to produce content on your website. But what we like to do is we like to uh, start with, uh, we'll do our keyword research, but we also like to do customer research, right? And we want to find 
where there's a harm, where there's an overlap between the two. That way, when you go to create this content, it's useful content that, that addresses problems that people have, that people are searching for, right? That drives value from the business from a search perspective to capture it. But it also allows you to take the concepts that, that you were talking about in those articles, right? Addressing these problems that you got from real direct feedback, like actually talk to your customers. Don't just record, don't just review gong calls. Don't just look at, at chat logs, right? Talk to them, drill in to really figure out like, like do the whole why thing, the three whys, right? Where it's like, you ask them why and answer, you ask why, keep, keep drilling down and really understand what the, what the deep underlying uh, motivation behind the issues that they have are. So then when you produce that content in your blog, right? Great for search, but then it gives you real, a really good um, kind of nexus of content to then post on social. Now we don't like, we're not saying write the blog, post links on social. I think that's a waste of time, right? It's, it reduces your reach. The, the platforms want to keep people on the platforms, right? So Absolutely. why don't you just meet people where they're at and just talk about the things that you were talking about on your website on social, right? It's, it's accomplishing the same goal, right? Which is top of funnel awareness or cap, you know, capturing demand, uh, making people aware of you, et cetera. But serves up conversation. You have those conversations right there where people already are. Um, that's how we like to look at the, at the uh, kind of interplay between them. Um, there's other opportunities though, too, depending on, you know, what type of medium that you're using. So if you're creating video content, right, like that's a lot more useful to kind of post on social as well. Um, but yeah, we try, we try to find an overlap and, and look for things that are going to um, stir up conversation. But if there aren't any, right, or if you're, um, you know, if you're working on, say, maybe you're building out your content around your, really your, your API documentation and things like that, like, it's not necessarily something you're going to go talk on social. And so from there, you've got to talk to the subject matter experts in the company, figure out what their strong opinions are, help them create that content, right? You want to produce right. that on your website as well. And then that that makes for really good uh, topics on social. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. And I think that when it comes to creating the content for social media, that kind of goes back to one of the big mistakes that you said people have with their topic clustering is... is going off of gut. And I think yeah. what's clever about what you guys are doing is you're, you know, unless you said something, you just like, like, you know, horribly, I'm going to just say horribly boring because nobody is looking up API documentation unless, you know, unless this is very specific context on, you know, on, on Instagram, right? No one's searching for API data right. on Instagram. Right. Um, however, for everything else that's not that, um, you know, you essentially have well-vetted information to be able to make your content from that you're like no like for sure people have this problem and so when i get to talk about this problem in the video or the photo or the graphic that i make on uh instagram or or whatever it is the platform that your your customers are actually on you know like to say probably linkedin um then like this is actually going to resonate with them and connect with them because this is research-based content um, this is not just a gut instinct creation right here um which i think is definitely a better use of time and energy um, and marketing budget um, to be able to piggyback off of that research. Yeah. And it's, you know, even when you're not the subject, let's say whoever's handling your social isn't necessarily a subject matter expert themselves. What's helpful about this approach is that when you interview a subject matter expert, as you're creating the content, because you don't want people to just, you don't want a novice to write content uh, for people who want to buy, like, especially when it's say middle or bottom of funnel or thought leadership type content, like, mm. I don't even like doing it with top of funnel content, frankly, like I want to write a level that's, that's going to convince the people that, that would buy that, 
that I'm a peer, right. And that I'm right. not an intern. So that's not to, they all, they don't always have time to write that content, but whoever the writer is, they should be interviewing them. Right. And being able to pull those insights in. And so the insights that they've, you know, heard and received from that subject matter expert that they've incorporated into that piece of content on the website, those can be then posted on, you know, on social, whether it's from their account, if they're doing it for that person on their behalf or from the brand account, you're not going to get as much reach, but you can still actually, you know, create things that are going to resonate with people. Useful too, is look at the feedback you get from social, like not just the engagement, you know, but like, what are the comments going on, right? Like, can you get people to comment? Can you have conversations with people? Use the, the feedback from those conversations to also kind of let you know, right? Like, are people actually interested in, uh, in talking about this and not, not the vanity metrics, right? Like right. a handful, imagine having, imagine what the value is, right? Of having five back, you know, back and forth conversations with who your target ICP is right? Like in the, in a threaded comment on one of your posts, like that's, that's, that's super valuable. So. Right. That's that post publication, uh, mm -hmm. research, right? Yeah. So before we get into, um, customer conversations, one thing that just popped in my brain is, uh, maybe a valid question is, is, you know, typically we're talking about like, uh, like visuals aside, right? And we're talking about like the written content that you guys have vetted and created and, you know, based on the topic clustering and stuff like that. How do you feel about um, those things getting published on like stuff like Medium or LinkedIn articles or stuff like that? Like, have you seen those things perform well in those situations because of like the Google related data searching and, and optimizing that you've been doing? Or like, is that something you recommend people do? Or is that kind of just like a no brainer, just like try it and see what happens kind of thing? I think that it, I mean, it probably has a place if you don't have a, uh, if you're a brand new site or if you're an individual who's trying to build a little bit of a personal brand within a company. Um, I don't think there's anything like inherently wrong with it. I think it's often a distraction though, um, mm. depending on, on what your goals are. I think too many people try to, they try to, they try to do too many different things, right? Rather than giving a strategy time to to really kind of play itself out and know if it works and really like refining that it's time and time again right like this is what we tell a lot of the clients that we work with on projects that we're you know providing them strategic advice on is that they always want to produce new content right because it's that's more fun it's more exciting when you can often get more value from optimizing what you already have right and so that's the same sort of concept with posting on linkedin rather than looking at different channels to try find one that works and then like really, really make it work more, right? Like keep optimizing it, right? The 1% right. difference in conversion rate from one platform, right? That's, that has major lift whenever you're looking at larger numbers. So that's what I would do again. Like maybe if you're a smaller site, that's, that would be fine. But uh, I, like, I'm not a fan of syndication really at all. I don't see the value of it. Like, uh, you know, like focus on building your brand and like make it like building your brand through your content and people will just come to you. You don't need syndication. Right. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So now I want us, cause you, you brought it up a couple times now about um, right. There's uh, like analytical type data that you guys are, are um, harvesting and, and researching and stuff like that too. But uh, obviously that's not the only kind of data. Um, so tell us a little bit about 
customer conversations and, and things like that. Like talk to us about your, what you see in value in that. Yeah. So I think that the, a, a really great part of the value really just from a marketer's perspective is that instead of guessing about who your audience is, right? Like you, you actually really get to know them. Um, you know, instead of being abstracted from it, salespeople get to talk to the customers all the time, right? Customer <clears throat> success gets to talk to customers all the time. Marketing often doesn't. And that's bizarre to me because it's marketing's job to go attract these people, right? Right. So the, the primary right is that you actually get to finally understand who, you, who your customers are, what their pain points are, right? That informs positioning, that informs messaging, that informs the direction of content strategy, right? That informs the direction of how do you want to, um, you know, speak to these problems in your content that drive the right type of leads and make it come off as more authentic, right? It drives strategy across social, et cetera. That's where I think the most value kind of comes from. Um, outside of that, like you get to, you kind of, I guess, like get to uh, realize that maybe a lot of the stuff you've been doing in the past that was probably wasting time, effort, and energy. It may have been producing leads, right? But it wasn't really uh, producing the right type of, of, of leads. You can start to reduce that, those sorts of activities, right? And focus um, more on, on what's going to work. And sometimes that's often harder, right? It takes more time. Yeah. But that's where the value of quality over quantity kind of comes into. But uh, I'm happy to dive into uh, other kind of specifics there, like that qualitative data too. You'll learn a lot about attribution, especially, right? Of how yeah. wrong your attribution is. Um, you know, well, maybe it'd be helpful then if you were like, do you, I don't know if you guys personally have a story or if you have a client story of someone who had kind of like a eureka moment, if you will, um, in having some of those customer conversations. I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah. So there was um, uh, there's a company we we're working with that focuses on uh, producing. Uh, uh, they actually like ghostwrite books for people, like help them publish. And w they were initially we were kind of going after these kind of broad uh, ideas related to you know how do you choose a book title, um, you know how do you how long should a book be, et cetera, right? Right. And it worked. It drove leads to them, right? But it also drove a lot of unqualified leads because they were specifically targeting people that had, um, they like their ICP were CEOs were that that wanted to tell a story, right? More like a okay. memoir, or CEOs who wanted to write a book to help kind of build their own brand, right? So or like thought leadership kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Yes. Exactly. Or or high performing athletes, right? Who have gone on to something else, etc. And so that type of content we were creating. Um, yeah, it was working great. So we, we started talking to these people and we realized that the, the ICP, like the real problem to be solved, the real thing that we needed to go after was, was addressing the fact that they wanted to leave a legacy behind, right? That they wanted to put their thought leadership out there, that they wanted to, um, to, to grow their brand if they hadn't quite made one for themselves yet, right? It was, it was the acceleration of their career. Um, and so all this other stuff related to what should you know how to how to create a book title how long should my book be that was much later in the funnel right versus addressing what the real root cause was about you know why they might want to do this it also helped inform strategy when it comes to um you know we, you can think of it as like like problem unaware right like people who uh, they want to build their social capital right but they haven't ever thought about the fact that writing a book could be a mechanism of doing that Right. Yeah, and so yeah. then that helped us 
when we create that content that gives us more thought leadership content to post on social and to run some paid uh, social behind, right. To kind of raise awareness of how this could help you. Meaning that they, it, they were yeah. trying to target people who weren't even searching about book writing. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Okay. So that helped, that helped a lot there. Dang. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Um, so what, and yeah, so they just ended up starting creating content just based around that like topic of legacy. And then that just kind of ended up help. I mean, obviously that would be much better targeting um, yeah. when it came to who they were talking to. Yeah. You can start to, you can go, you can go into broader topics, things like, um, you know, like how to build your, how to build your personal brand. Right. And then you can talk about all the different ways to build your personal <laughs> brand. And one of them can be writing a book and publishing a book, right? Going the, going right. the self-published route. You don't have to go through additional publisher because then you can, then you can take a more middle funnel to kind of explain like the pros and cons of self-publishing versus going through traditional publishing. Right. And then that, that's how you, you know, kind of work them and convince them that they should do this option with this company, you know, versus right. going through a traditional publisher. Hmm. No, I like that a lot. That that's really, yeah. that's fun. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine that writing an article about like how long a book should be is yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of surf traffic, but yeah. man, that is broad. Yeah, very, um, very broad because they weren't going after fiction book authors either, right? Hmm. They weren't going after people who were writing fiction, who were writing novels, children's books, et cetera, right? It was the, it's business books, it's, it's mindset books, productivity books, performance books, those sorts of things. Right. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, hopefully, hopefully that worked out for them. I imagine it did. Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're doing great. So, well, and even better. I mean, what a great business model. Uh, they're actually targeting people who can afford, yeah, <laughs> to hire their <Yeah>. services. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really goes back to your whole point about, and that's been that's been so funny in our journey too. Is like back to your example about writing the article about Google My Business, and it's like. Um, you attracted a whole bunch of people that I can't afford to hire you, which is nice that you're helping them. But at the end of the day, then you kind of have to put it in the like philanthropy box almost yeah. um, instead of revenue driving. And it's funny because like uh, the term small business has a wide variety of meanings to it. Yes, it and f from uh, maybe even too big for us to hire as a, a or be uh, hired on as a, as a, a client for, um, to so small that they can't afford to like eat, uh, too nice of a restaurant, um, for dinner. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. The range, um, yeah, so, altru no. altruism, altruism is great. Right. But yeah. I think that's something that you, you naturally progress into once you're in a position to be able to do it. Right. So you got to focus on how do you actually grow, you know, uh, either go public or, or, or if you're bootstrapped, you know, maintain profitability until you hit a certain threshold, right? You can think about altruism later. Like, again, we'd already done it, learned our lesson, right? I'll, I'll it's, it was a great lesson learned. I'm glad we learned it kind of on ourselves versus our clients. Right. But yeah. Um, but that's something, you know, it, everything, it just builds up experience over time, right? You, you kind of learn what works, what doesn't and, uh, and grow with from that. So. Absolutely. No, that's cool. Well, cool, man. Well, Hey, I want to respect your time. And so, uh, we're rolling up here on, uh, 10 o'clock of my time. Um, so thank you very much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I certainly got a lot of great uh, value and tips and stuff like that, that I'll be writing on my little blackboard over here and going over with my team. So hopefully it's been helpful to many others as well. I'm sure it has. So um, if you could 
uh, just let us know. We'll be uh, putting in the, the description and comments and stuff like that, um, like the actual links to get a hold of you. But if you could just let people know where they can typically run into you and where you're most responsive at, that would be amazing. Yeah, the best place to reach me, frankly, is, is going to be on it's going to be on LinkedIn. Um, uh, you can search for Skylar Reeves, um, Skylar with an E, not an A. Um, you'll find me on there. Uh, feel free to to hit me up, chat. I'm always uh, always looking to have conversations with people and learn. But uh, yeah, that's the best place to reach me and uh, consume content and or just have a chat and ask me questions or just try not to pitch me stuff if you if you don't mind. You know, you gotta you gotta warm it up. You know, so. Wait, that happens on LinkedIn? No way. Oh yeah, you know it's uh, it's 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 wild, huh? Yep. The other we day, don't do I it. Just... We don't do it. We don't do any outbound. Like oh. we're vehemently against it, right? So we don't uh, we we don't pitch anybody. So. Well, you know, at least I think if it would be just a little bit more respectful if I felt like they actually did research on my yeah. company before yeah. messaging me, like, hey, it looks like you do stuff in marketing. You would be perfect for our business, and I'm like what kind of stuff are you talking about? Like, what kind of stuff do I do? I'd love for you to hear. I'd love for you to tell me what, what I do, because you clearly don't know. There was a, um, just, just kind of uh, throw some in there too, that people might find helpful. We, um, so again, we don't, we don't do outbound and, but what we do, uh, when we do have conversations with people, if we just try to provide value, we don't try to pitch them, but we will try to like learn a lot about that person first. And we use a tool called obsidian and it's really useful. It's a, uh, you can, it's a, it's like a note-taking tool, like Mark works in Markdown, but we kind of built a little system in it where uh, what's really cool about it is you can link ideas and thoughts and people and stuff together. And it. it's just a straight like note notebook editor, but it's got these wiki style backlinks. They're like bi-directional links, whatever. But what's nice about it is that I can, I can be writing about a concept that I'm learning about or something where I read somewhere, right? I can do this and just backlinking it. Find, what's, what's nice is it finds where you've talked about something that you haven't linked together. Right. So you can say, hey, you were talking about X, Y, Z. And this other person was talking about the other day where you took notes on something they wrote on LinkedIn or whatever. And so you start to draw these concepts and these connections between people, between the things that you've got going on. But also what's interesting is between the things that other people have going on that are related to things that other people have going on. Right. And so you can become this connector of people where you're saying, hey, uh, you know, imagine getting imagine getting a DM from someone saying, hey, I saw you were talking about this. I read this other thing about this other person the other day. You might find it interesting too. You guys should should connect and chat, right? Mm. Imagine being that person, right? The connector. There's a lot of value in being a connector of people. Um, but then beyond that too, is you start to find these interesting connections and ways to relate to people that you would have never even thought of. So an example of this was, uh, I won't say names, but there's a popular influencer in our industry, right? And it's naturally you want to build relationships with, with other people who have, who have your audience. <laughs> and um, by looking through my graph, right? Because you can see this really cool graph view of how everything connects. I could see that, okay, this person uh, is into running, right? Uh, I knew that they had a they had a Husky, right? And I was like, huh. So it's interesting because then I, I, I used to be a CMO of a running company, right? I have a Husky. Small things like that, right? And the only reason we knew they had a Husky is because we watched a YouTube video, saw a Husky running around in the background, and we just note these things down, right? And, and, and who knows where the connection is going to be? So whenever I was chatting with them, right? Like I think it was on Twitter later on, right? They shared a picture of their Husky. I shared a picture of my Husky, right? Started oh, a conversation and now I'm connected with this person. So. So you have to physically do the note writing, but then it can help identify yeah. trends in like a topic or something within other things you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do that. You've got to put in the work, right? Like let's yeah. say um, relationship building. Uh, I think too many people have tried to automate it. 
right? And okay. you can't automate yeah. relationship building. So you got to put in the work, but uh, but it really pays off in the long run because you can really, uh, it's the think of it like the whole, what was it? The seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, whatever, right? Yeah. Like it's like that. You start to find really interesting ways that things that are there people that you know or things that you're working on, how they relate to people. It's, we all talk about personalization when you're trying to reach out and build relationships, right? Like it's a really fantastic way to do it without having to, um, the way, the way that we approach it is we just kind of take notes casually. I'll block out an hour a day when I'm going through, I'll just kind of take notes down, not only what I'm working on, but things I'm reading about, right? And so when the time comes, they just sort of surface, they emerge Yeah. Uh, without you having to manually go find it. And so instead of prospecting to find outbound opportunities, these opportunities just sort of emerge for you and you can say, oh, well, here's this connection. It's, it's, uh, it's serendipitous is the way I kind of yeah. look at it. Works great. So no, I, that's really helpful. I mean, I, uh, I love learning. So I'm always reading books and articles yep. and all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't know if like, like, you know, if it's just me, if I just don't have a high enough IQ or whatever, but like, there's so much data coming into our brains at any given time, you can't possibly quantify all of it and provide meaningful connections on that. So that sounds like that obsidian is, is helpful for that, um, to be able to make sense of it. It's like, it's like big data for your brain. Yeah, it's it's so. it's effectively it's effectively built to be a personal knowledge management system, right? And it's yeah. free. So hey, you know. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. I I appreciate that. I'm gonna go check that out. That sounds awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Skylar, thank you so much for being on the show. I really really appreciate it. It's uh, 